Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome to another week of the podcast. This week is the last week of school for my kids, and every school year, it's sort of bittersweet. They learn and they grow a lot and they have new experiences. But then I think about how fast it's all going and how big they're getting. And all I want is everything to slow down. I'm sure you feel the same way. So with the summer right around the corner, maybe your kids will be in camp or you'll be traveling or you're staying close to home. But what you can bet on is that your kids will be snacking. And when it comes to snacks, there are so many different options available today. And if you're like me, you're reading labels and you're looking for protein and fiber and sugar. And if your kid has food allergies, you're also reading labels to make sure they're safe. One thing that I think most of us aren't thinking about are pesticides and heavy metals and toxins, which we definitely don't want in our kids' bodies. But figuring out whether a product is clean or not, even if it is organic, isn't always easy. That was the case for Colleen Cavanaugh. Her kids had a bunch of dietary restrictions that she was managing, but when the schools went nut-free, she couldn't find snack foods that were nutritious and not overly processed and safe. So she launched her company, Zigo and decided she'd go on a quest to learn more about the food industry and hopefully uncover a link between certain foods and autoimmunity and cancer. What she discovered was that companies aren't required to test for toxins, and so she added purity testing and standards to her business. We test a lot of food, and generally organic is much cleaner than conventional, and generally it really is organic, but we're never going to catch the fraud or the mistakes if we as brands are not testing to double check. Zigo is the first purity transparent food company that produces products with superfoods that are tested for over 500 chemicals including glyphosate, heavy metals, common allergens, and gluten. Colleen and I talk about why she started Zigo, what she discovered about the toxins in our food, and some of the challenges she had that turned out to be blessings. She also shares advice for parents who want to start similar businesses and shares her best tips for getting kids to eat better, even when we're short on time. There's a ton of information in this episode, and it will make you rethink everything you thought about food. I know you're going to love this interview with Colleen Cavanaugh. Well, Colleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. So let's talk about your story. What were you doing before you founded Zigo Foods? So I had spent my career working to improve nutrition for low-income kids in public programs in particular. So I worked in public policy on school lunch, school breakfast, the WIC program for pregnant low-income moms food stamps, trying to see if we could change them so that we could get better nutrition guidelines so that the food was being used to purchase healthier food and create healthier meals um, to help uh, raise that platform for them so that they, they could be secure in their food and not have to worry about that as part of the things that they're struggling to overcome as they work their way out of poverty. Right. And I had read that you kind of encountered some challenges in your various roles along the way. I worked in politics and in nonprofit for almost 20 years. I started there as a very young pup. 
Um, I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked in um, Sacramento, in California. I worked in San Francisco, worked with the school board. Um, So at all different levels in this vertical of healthy eating, right? And we had been working during the Obama administration on improving nutrition for snack bar foods and vending machine foods in high schools. Uh, Because in public high schools, a lot of kids are eating their meals almost 100% of the time, either from the snack bar or from the vending machines. And we had already done standards for the school lunch program, but not for the, those types of foods. So we worked together and it was a collective of, you know, a hundred different advocates and uh, legislators and their staff and, and Michelle Obama's office. And we were all so excited that we had gotten this legislation through in a couple of years. And so we were waiting with bated breath to find out what is going to, what's big foods reaction going to be. You know, if they used to be selling like Chips Ahoy in the uh, vending machine, how are they going to retool? Are they going to put a new product in? Will they improve the old product? So about three months after the bill went into effect, the first product that came out, and I kid you not, it was a brown rice crispy treat. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that you laughed. Like, no, this is not what we meant, right? Uh, right. We, this is like when you tell your kid something and then they end up jumping off a bridge. And you were like, really, I had to mention that you shouldn't jump off the bridge like that. I never even thought of that. So what they did is they just took the same product and you know they grind that rice into a tiny powder so that the people who work in the factories have to wear masks because it's bad for your respiratory system to breathe in that fine powder. So all the nutrients are gone. It doesn't matter if they started with brown rice or with white rice. It it, it has no difference on the nutrients in the end. It's still a sugary, high carbohydrate snack. So I threw up my hands. I said, there's no way that we can be clever enough to write regulations that big food won't get around. And that the change really had to happen with demand, with parents and people asking for better quality food, more nutritious food, cleaner food. Um, and so that, that was why I ended up leaving the public policy, sort of public sector looking for solutions and moved into the private sector and decided, well, I'm going to start a company for a market-based solution that can leverage demand, just the way we used to leverage um, grassroots organizations when we would lobby. If there was a, something that was going to hurt the school lunch program, we would reach out to all the school food service directors and all the parents and we'd say, hey, you know, send in an email to your legislator and tell them you don't want this. Same idea, but we're leveraging the power of the consumer as opposed to a grassroots um, organization of a nonprofit. Great. And so when you decided to launch this new company, you kind of went on a quest, right? And you discovered that there aren't really requirements around how foods manufacture their products. Is that right? Yeah, basically that's, that's, that's a, the summary of it. So when I started Zigo, I started it in part because of the food allergy rise that we were seeing out in school. So my son is now 24. So he was sort of the beginning class where you no longer had one kid and maybe a K through eight school who had a peanut allergy. Now you had two or three kids who had some sort of like really life-threatening food allergy. Um, and so we, I wanted to fill that void because there was no one who was making healthy food that covered the top allergens and also was organic and clean and delicious and actually healthy, you know, something other than like having popcorn or gluten-free pretzels, you know, it was a, or a, an allergy-free cookie. I wanted something that was really wholesome um, and nourishing. So that, that's why we moved in that direction. And I figured that once I got into the food industry and really started manufacturing, 
I was really going to keep my eyes open and see what is going on with the food. Like what is up with our food? Seriously, we have such a huge rise in allergies, autism, um, all of those various problems, um, diseases, chronic diseases, and our food has changed dramatically from say 1950s, right? So we would be uh, not wise if we ignored the changes in the food. So I wanted to see, is there something going on behind the curtain that people don't know about that I don't know about? And that's what I found when I got there. So um, I was a couple of years into it and a friend of mine from my advocacy world called me and said, hey, we're looking for the first U.S. company to test for a chemical called glyphosate. And at that point, this is 2016, I didn't even know what glyphosate was. I knew what Roundup was. I didn't know what glyphosate was. I was like, well, tell me about this. So I learned more about glyphosate and Roundup. And I said, well, of course I'll test my products. They're organic. They shouldn't have any Roundup residue in them. So we tested and lo and behold, we, long story short, the cinnamon that we were using in our apple cinnamon bar was very high in glyphosate. It was organic cinnamon. So it it was fraud, but we would have never known if we hadn't tested, right? Um, I talked to an uh, organic quinoa importer. He imports from small farms in Indonesia. And he said that a third of his imports are rejected because they're not actually organic. He can measure the pesticides in them. Now that's an extreme example. Um, We test a lot of food and generally organic is much cleaner than conventional and generally it really is organic, but we're never going to catch the fraud or the mistakes if we as brands are not testing to double check. Um, So that, that gets starting into the, that whole conversation. We can talk a little bit more on the manufacturing side because I have a lot of things to tell people that I think will really you know, we all say we shouldn't eat processed foods, but when you hear some of these stories, you really understand why. Yeah. And so none of these toxins are regulated in the U.S., right? Well, I would say that they are regulated at such a high threshold that they're in your food and they don't actually violate any federal EPA rules. Now, sometimes they do. We have baby food that violates, you know, uh, rules that we have around lead and arsenic. And that's a, those public documents that we have from a a report about a year ago from the government oversight subcommittee that looked into baby food. So there are cases in which the numbers are actually above the EPA thresholds. The more strict thresholds rules are in California. So some people may have heard of Prop 65. So Prop 65 was a voter initiative. um, And that, again, that's like a long story that we won't go into here, but basically it sets extremely low levels uh, for things like lead, arsenic, Etc. and some other pesticides and says that you can't expose anyone who lives in California to thresholds above these certain standards. So the issue is uh, both a lack of a really good standard. We have one that's super, super high and one that's super, super low. And then we have reality somewhere in between. But then also the lack of, of enforcement and then the lack of testing. So brands don't want to test because they don't want to know what's in their product, because if they do, then they're, they have to do something about it. Or if they're not going to it, then they know, right? And are they liable for knowing? Wow, it's so complicated. Can, it's very complicated. And so in terms of health effects, what should parents know about these toxins? Well, I think the, the easiest one to talk about is lead, because as parents, particularly parents of young children, we are all, I think, most aware of the problems of lead. Um, and on the, on the pesticide side, I, which is, would be pesticides and herbicides, they're all considered pesticides, would be um, glyphosate. So first, I'll start with lead. 
um, lead in summary is particularly dangerous for the developing brain, which is why we don't want kids eating paint chips, right? When they're toddlers, not a good idea, right? That's why we got lead out of gasoline and out of paint um, because it has these long, short and long-term effects from your brain down to your toes. And the lead will be stored in your bones for decades and then sometimes break off when you're older and you end up with dementia. So lead impacts almost every aspect of our, of our system, of our, our body. But we're most familiar with it because of the IQ measurements that we know that lead decreases the IQ of children who are exposed to it. And there's no getting over that. It's a permanent change. Something like um, cadmium, which is another one of the big four um, heavy metals that we look for, that's going to cause you kidney problems. So it's more isolated to that specific system. When you're looking at glyphosate, which is the Roundup residue, so this is the most popular herbicide in the world, and it is water-soluble. So it's in our water, it's in our air. You can actually measure it in the air. It's so ubiquitous in our world. Um, So you can't live a glyphosate-free lifestyle because it is everywhere. But people who go from eating conventional into organic um, are are able to cut their glyphosate levels down to very tiny amounts. So you you really can have a lot of control over that. And glyphosate can cause anything, and it depends on which study, you know, there's always the study wars, right? So um, one person believes this study, one person doesn't believe the other study. But we certainly have many smaller studies that are showing very small amounts of glyphosate can affect your fertility, um, all kinds of different issues uh, that, that glyphosate affects throughout your body. So it's considered sort of like lead, a toxin across many systems in your body because it is water-soluble, it can kind of travel anywhere. And it travels through streams, right? So if you have a conventional farm upstream from you, then you probably have glyphosate in the river or stream that goes by your house. And so what are the products that you offer and what makes them different from other competitors? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so we, well, the reason, what, how we look on how we rolled out all of our food was where are parents most in need of help for healthy food? And then where do we know that there are toxicity problems where we have a clean source and we can provide a solution for people? So we started out in snack bars because at the time we started the company, this was way back in 2013, it was sort of the uh, young age of the sort of the pre-adolescent era of of snack bars. And there wasn't anything that was healthy that was um, top nine allergen-free and gluten-free and wouldn't spike your blood sugar. My son was a little bit pre-diabetic, and I can tell you that story if we, if we want to, um, of why, from my kid's perspective, I got into this area. But the bars, we started out with that because I know how stuck parents get when you're driving your kids around to soccer on the weekends, and sometimes you had to drive a couple of hours to get out until the middle of nowhere, and you're there while they warm up, you're there during the game, you're there afterwards, and there's like nothing around you know? So you really have to be able to bring something that's shelf-stable, you can share with tons of kids. So that's why we started in that area. And then we moved into um, breakfast because there's been such a problem with oats in our country. And it started about 20 years ago where they're actually uh, taking oats so that they can, in order to, so they take a field and if they need to speed up the harvest, say they know that there's rain coming and you can't harvest uh, wet oats. So if they know there's rain coming, like, oh no, this isn't really going to be ready to harvest for a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and dry it out super fast so that I can harvest now. And that means that they spray it with glyphosate, with Roundup, 
and for the sole purpose of drying out the plant so that they can harvest the oats sooner. Now, in that case, there's a huge amount of glyphosate because glyphosate, like anything, has a half-life and it lasts so long and you know, then it decreases. But if you're spraying it at the end, right before you harvest, you're really giving your customers a lot of glyphosate. So we were able to find some farms in the Western U.S., that are not only uh, are their organic products tested and we knew they were glyphosate free, the farmers that they contract with also have to agree not to use glyphosate on their conventional fields because often these um, ingredients are grown side by side. One farmer grows oats, he grows a certain amount of the crop is organic, a certain amount of the crop is conventional. And you have drift as you're like, if your plane is going over the field, you know, that glyphosate, that Roundup will drift over. Um, so that's how we ended up doing oats. And we always try to plus up on the nutrition side because, you know, the original idea behind the company was that we were serving these uh, people who had autoimmune diseases, you know, allergies, gluten, celiac disease, uh, diabetics, that type of thing. So since we were providing one of the few convenience foods that we felt was healthy, we wanted to make sure it's as healthy as possible. So you can see that in our oats. We actually use a particular variety of oats that have double the protein of regular oats. And they also have 30 to 40% more iron and fiber. So with every bite, you're getting more. Um, and we did the same thing with protein. We, there was a bunch of reports that came out about five years ago about um, heavy metals and pesticides and plastic residues in protein powders, even organic protein powders. And we knew we had a safe one because we were using it for our protein bars. So we were like, well, let's provide this. If people want a clean protein powder, we've got it. And we also, it's a not protein isolate, which is a very chemically driven process. So, it's a lot, so toxic, the process is so toxic. You can't make it in the US or in Canada, um, even the organic ones. So we use what they call a whole food approach where we take these sacha inchi seeds that kind of look like big almonds, but they're a seed. And you squish them to get the oil out. You lightly roast them and grind them up. That's all we do. So it's really more like seed meal, really easy to digest. So you're digesting about 30% more than you would a regular protein powder. And you're getting some healthy omega-3s and things like that in it. And then we've got some trail mix and some mucili as well. So other things that we know where we have clean source suppliers, mostly here in the US, um, and that we test regularly to make sure that the products are clean. It's amazing. And so I had read that your, one of your children had some dietary restrictions and that was kind of the impetus for starting the company as well. Yes. So we're a bit of a market basket of uh, autoimmune issues in my family. <laughs> Our doctor likes to say that we just autoimmune. He doesn't, he's like, I'm going to stop diagnosing you guys because you just keep popping up with more. So I had uh, one daughter who they, well, they're all dairy intolerant. Um, two of them seemed to have celiac disease at a young age, but I hadn't gotten them tested, but they were very sensitive to wheat and we get belly aches. Um, my son was extremely sugar sensitive. Um, and actually he had every symptom of diabetes, but he didn't measure as having diabetes. And I took him to our doctor and she said, I hate to tell you this, but from a conventional standpoint, medicine, I can only wait until his pancreas dies. And then I can give you insulin, but I can tell you that his pancreas is failing. So you should go out and find every shaman you can find, put him on a low glycemic diet and see if you can fix it and give his pancreas time to repair itself. So um, the food aspect of that was to get him on an extremely low glycemic diet for between five and 10 years. So we were working with that. We were working with no gluten 
um, and the dairy intolerance. And then our schools went nut free, which I totally supported and understood because I knew, you know, the impact of that on those kids. It can be life threatening, right? Um, so you have to do it. But if you add together all those things that you're trying to watch out for, and then so you're talking about like top top nine allergy free plus gluten free plus low glycemic, no sugar spike, like that's really tough. So that's why we de- designed our first product. That's how we started. So Colleen, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how you knew that other parents wanted these products and what you did to launch and grow this business. Summer is in full swing and the longer days make it the best time of year to bring your kids in the kitchen and have some fun together. Cooking with your kids is one of the best things you can do to encourage them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse. This course was created by a mom of four and former teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, printable supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions. My daughters and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash foodissues And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Between camp, road trips, and long summer days playing outside, my kids will be all about their snacks. And while snacks like goldfish crackers are quick and easy, they're overly processed and they just don't fill up my kids. Finding snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable is really important to me, and that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, one of my favorite cleaners. They also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Colleen. So tell me kind of what were the steps you took to, to ensure that other people wanted these products and then would pay money for them? Sure. That's a really good question. And it's one that like every entrepreneur, especially mom, mom entrepreneurs, because we are filled with a million ideas because there's so many gaps in what we need during the day that we're like, I should start a company doing that. So I had met, um, I'd been going to some nutrition lectures up at UCSF Medical Center, which is right up the street from my house. And they do these community lectures. And after one of them by uh, Dr. Lustig, who's doing a lot of work around diabetes and sugar, 
I stuck around to ask him questions. And there was this other guy, Jonathan Shambroom, who was there and he stuck around with me. So we were the two geeky kids at the end of the class who were like half an hour later, still asking all these questions of Dr. Lustig. So he and I decided he was between jobs. He's a serial entrepreneur. And we started getting together like once a month just to talk about like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What can we do to help the world, you know, around nutrition? And we actually came up with this idea together to launch this uh, product because we had been thinking of different applications of doing some sort of something on the web or some software or, but it, it, there's just not enough consensus in the nutrition world to really have, we wanted to have like the foremost uh, knowledge center on nutrition. It doesn't exist because everyone disagrees. So, so we decided, okay, I've spent my career asking people to do the right thing or telling them to do the right thing, like either as a lobbyist or as a Capitol Hill staffer. This time, I just wanted to handle the solution. It's like, I'm so tired of just, you know, challenging people to do the right thing. I want to give them the solution. And because our schools had just gone nut free, I was a part of those conversations where the parents were like, well, wait a minute, you know, we're... uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish and kosher hundred percent of the time, all of my food has to be kosher and nut free now. Plus, you know, other people were like, I try to buy organic. So I'm not going to have to find something that's nut free plus organic or other, you know, people had various reasons why, whether it was a medical condition or a cultural issue or a religious issue, why they were restricting their diets already. And so when you added in the nut free piece, it, everybody was sort of dried. Uh, up on on options and and didn't have any extra time. It's not like anybody handed us extra time so that we could be making snacks every day for at home from scratch, which is what you want to do, but you don't always have time to, right? Um, so so I knew there was this gap because I was that customer uh, in the marketplace. Um, so so that that was very good. I would say that the the thing that I should have done, and I interviewed, we interviewed lots of people in the food industry to ask them questions about, you know, how did they start their business? What's their biggest challenge? All of that. And we thought that we could learn like 80%. This is our humorous, like, well, we'll learn 80% of what from other people's mistakes, what they tell us, <laughs> which is totally not true. Like those, those lessons are really hard one. And there's so many of them. And, you know, you can, someone can tell you one thing and then you just go like, well, I'm not going to mess it up the way they did. I'm going to do it right. <laughs> right, right. And then your your talents are unique to your business. Yes, yes, that is true. So um, I think if there's one thing, Julie, if I were to look back and say the thing that we should have done that we didn't do is we should have spent time really trying to bring in a partner who was who had already launched a product and maybe closed it down years ago or had, you know, Someone who had been on the operational side of growing a food company, that would have been the best thing that we could have done. And we should have put off launching until we found that person. Great. And so let's talk about your journey to launching the company. What were some basic steps that you took to get it off the ground? So to launch the business, we started out by hiring a product developer uh, who we knew through a friend who was a chef. And she put together, we told her what we were looking to make on the snack front and she put together some recipes for us. And so we mailed them back and forth to, you know, do the trial. We never start, a lot of people will start with, oh, I have a great lemon meringue pie and everyone loves my pie. And so I'm going to go sell this pie. That was not us. We started with a concept and then developed a product based on the market need. Um, And we launched in a Kickstarter 
campaign. Actually, it was at Indiegogo, which is the same idea, um, with it at, at that type of campaign so that we could raise the first $50,000 that we needed. So we put in enough money. So I think we each put in 25000 So we put in enough that we could get our first production run done so that by the time we did our Indiegogo crowdsourcing campaign, we already had the product and we could ship it out right away. We didn't have to wait for that money to come in and then go produce. Um, so that, that was really helpful. And then from there we sold online and we started trying to get into stores and the whole distribution thing is its own. Like we could spend two days talking about getting into distribution, but that's how we started. There's lots of ways to start a food company. Um, our way is more capital intensive. Um, that if you do have a product that say you make a brownie that everybody loves, the, a great way is to start selling it at farmer's markets um, and or local cafes and start getting your revenue coming in and perfecting your product before you start going into stores because stores are a very expensive way to launch your company. Great. And did you reach out to, you know, small business organizations or women-led organizations to for a mentor, business coach, someone to help you kind of figure out all the steps? I did end up finding some really good mentors along the way. So in look in meeting with different investors, I met a group called Ostia Angels and they focus on women run or women controlled companies, maybe women at the C level. Um, and so they, even though they said, oh, you know, we're not going to invest in you. We actually have one of our members who has offered to be a mentor for you. And that was amazing to be able to get matched up with her. There's a lot of good options um, in that realm right now. We also have um, in the Bay Area, a group called One World and One World has CEO mentor groups and we meet monthly, um, sometimes twice a month with our group of CEOs. And these are males and females. Some other organizations I'm with are just females. And we talk through various issues that are affecting us. Some are for people who are bigger than me and some are for people who are smaller than me and we all learn from each other. Um, so those types of relationships are really, really helpful. And I, you, you can't have enough support on as far as starting your company or and growing it. The organization that I highly recommend every woman entrepreneur get involved with as early as possible, even before you launch, is WeBank. It's the women-owned certification. It is the most valuable certification I've ever gotten. And they provide a lot of support as far as training sessions, virtual as well as in-person. Um, and do provide you access to accounts that you couldn't otherwise get appointments with. It's really important. Yeah, being an entrepreneur is, can be so lonely sometimes and you feel like you're the only one who's struggling with certain challenges, right? And and it's really key that you have other women who can validate what you're going through and then provide support and information along the way. And so what were, you know, you, you talked about a regret that you had, but what were some challenges that you encountered along the way that actually turned out to be one of the best events of your life or a really great lesson that you learned from it? So the most important thing that I've learned through a lot of pain and kissing a lot of frogs is that there are really good people out there, both who are consultants, who run manufacturing plants, who are sales managers, um, finance, financial advisors. You have to find the right one for you, though. And you need to take the time to get the right person because you deserve someone who's really good, not just someone who's available. 
And oftentimes when you're at an early stage with your company, the people who contact you are the ones who need more business, right? And there's a reason why they need more business (laughs) because they might not be the best. And the wrong consultant, the wrong manufacturing relationship will sink you. First, it will suck your soul out of you and then it will sink you. So it's really a double-edged sword. Um, you know, we we were desperate to find a manufacturing plant because most manufacturing plants want you to have guarantee a minimum amount of production, and we were just starting, so we couldn't. And we ended up working with some a pretty shady. We didn't realize they were shady. We kind of knew we had that spidey sense when we met with them. We we're like, no, but we can make this work because we can make anything work. In the end, when you're little and the plant is big, you can't change that. You can't change your relationship with them. You're kind of just accepting what they are. Um, But you have to keep looking for the right person, keep looking for the right consultant, and don't be afraid to move on when you discover that it's not the right thing. Um, Also, the other big lesson I learned was never make a big change for someone who's promising to give you money. Because I have done that before. And then the person pulls out, which happens more time than you can imagine. And you end up, you know, I had actually changed my corporate structure from an LLC to incorporated in order to, because this particular um, donor or, or investor wanted that. And in the end, it was a really bad decision. He didn't realize the laws had changed a couple of years ago, and then he didn't even end up investing. So oh, wow. luckily I was able to do a, a backflip and reverse it. It wasn't too late. Um, but bad advice is really bad advice. So make make sure that you're careful about who you're getting advice from and double check things when you're advised to do something big like that. Make sure you're double checking with other people. And so what's some good advice that you have for mom entrepreneurs who want to start this type of business? Start as small as you can. So I'll say it again, because it's really worthwhile. If you have a product that you're making and you can sell it at a farmer's market and build up demand, start local move to, you know, citywide, move to the region. Don't think, oh, I'm going to launch a product across the country unless you have some amazing partner who's going to join you who has already successfully launched a product nationwide before. It's really, really complicated. Also, you need to be ready. Um, You need to do an assessment. How many years can I go without an income? And how much of my own income, or if it's you and your spouse, Um, of our money that we have, are are we willing to put into this or do we even have available to do in this? So some moms will take a side job and all of their money will go into building the business. You know, others have enough income in the family that they don't have to take an income right away while they build the business. But eventually you have to build in that salary for the CEO. Um, Even if you're like, oh, well, I'll just take my money when we sell the company to someone else. The, 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 your investors are going to want to see that you have enough, you're making enough money, you have enough margin to cover a CEO salary. Um, so th- those I think are probably the biggest thing. And so what's the future for the company? Are there going to be new products that will be rolled out? So our big focus right now is getting on retail shelves. So we're in about 1200 stores nationwide. Um, our most well-distributed product is our oats. So look for our double protein oats and sprouts and Hannaford and Whole Foods. Um, we are, we, we have a lot of SKUs right now. So we're looking to increase the amount that people know about our products, like our nut-free trail mix and things like that, to increase what we call velocity, which is the amount that you're selling every month. and 
Zico is really just as much a movement as it is a, pro- a product-driven company. So on every, the front of every package, we have a big circle that says purity verified. And it's tied to a QR code on the package that's linked to over 500 different purity tests for pesticides, herbicides, and heavy metals, allergens, and gluten. So on every package, you have the power to know how clean that product is. And our goal is to have consumers not just you know be happy that we have this product for them, right? Because they want clean food. We actually have a note on the back of every package that says, if you like having purity verified food, please, for like the way that Zico does, please contact other brands that you love, like send them a DM, send them an email, pick up the phone if you feel like picking up the phone and tell them that you want them to purity verify their products like Zico does. Because if consumers are asking other companies to do it, they will eventually start doing it. And when that happens, the brands are going to find out how much of this residue they have in their product and that they're going to have to reveal it. So they're going to have to reach back to their suppliers and their farmers and say, hey, uh, I've got to have new rules with you where the ingredients I buy for you can't have measurable amounts of glyphosate. It ha- can't have any lead in it. It has to be under this amount of arsenic and cadmium. Like That's how we're going to lead to this global revolution of cleaning the supply chain and cleaning the planet. But it starts with every person who's listening to this podcast Every person out there who's an eater needs to consider themselves part of the movement and the most important part, because they are pushing the demand that will rapidly change the system. Yes, absolutely. And so what are some best tips for parents who want their kids to eat better, but they just don't have the time? That's a great question. I think any time we can turn time with our kids into food prep time is a great way to, you know, kill two birds with one stone. So if you can make that into something fun, and there's lots of things now on Instagram of um, moms who are showing different fun snacks that they made with their kids. Um, As they get older, they kind of get it and they don't think it's as much fun. Uh (laughs) Um, But it is helpful to make sure that you have all the raw ingredients in your pantry you have the types of things. We always say upgrade your pantry. Like take, what are the five things that you and your family eat the most, right? You can probably name the brand and what it is, right? So let's say that you eat a lot of Quaker oats. Well, a great way to upgrade that is to switch it out for Zigo oats, right? You're adding, doubling the protein, uh, fiber, iron, and you're getting out all those pesticides and as well as the heavy metals because we test for heavy metals and make sure that we're in a good spot on those. So by doing things like that, when your kids are like, oh, I'm going to make some oatmeal cookies. Well, yeah, they're making cookies, but they're making cookies that have more nutrition in them now. So I think that those things are are really key. Well, Colleen, this was a great interview. So much information that you have and so much great advice for parents. And so where can listeners go to learn more about you and Zigo Foods? Absolutely. So we are on the web at zigofoods.com. You can find our products in Sprouts, Hannaford, some Whole Foods. And of course, if you want your local stores to carry our food, please ask them because that's the biggest way that we can get into these other stores. Um, We want to get on as many shelves as we can so that we can reach people who are just everyday shopping and browsing so that they go to the oat section and they see this big purity verified sign like, wait a minute, what does that mean? And it starts their learning journey. Um, And then also I would encourage everyone to go to your pantry, 
pick the top three to five things that you buy. See if you can upgrade those to decrease the toxicity and increase the nutrition in them. Um, and that that's a great way to, with very little effort, to really make a big difference in your family's nutrition base that they're working off of every day. Great. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Julie. That was such an amazing interview with Colleen. I learned so much and I love how her business is all rooted in science. Be sure to head on over to zigofoods.com to learn more about their company and purchase their products. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.